0: Uh, praise God. I go ahead and turn the mic on. All right. Well, praise God. It's good to uh have everyone with us again. And um what is the Wednesday night before Christmas here in the United States? I know we've got some folks that join us overseas, maybe a different uh day or whatever ahead of us or behind us, most I think mostly ahead of us, but anyway, um anyway, a lot of excitement uh in the air and and rightly so as we get ready to celebrate uh, the birth of our Lord and Savior. And um, uh, I know it's, uh, you know, lots changed in our world. I remember just a couple of years ago, you know, my family didn't celebrate Christmas until like January. Uh, what was it? January. I forget Joel anyway. My nephew's on the front row here. But, um, but you know, what hasn't changed is what it's really all about anyway. And that's, that's the birth of our Savior. And his willingness to come and so um, also I was, I was telling some folks in the room before we started uh, streaming you know sometimes you get close to Christmas people start and it's okay I mean vacations and they, they check out their mind goes elsewhere but this is the largest group we've had in the room here in, in, in a few weeks so it's great to have all of you with us and all of you watching online and um, let's pray and we'll get started father thank you for another evening together thank you for your love, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you, Father, that no weapon formed against us or our families will prosper. Lord, I thank you, Father, for this Christmas season, and and Lord, I know there's a lot of uh, things, you know, that really don't have anything to do uh, with Jesus that have uh, kind of infiltrated into this occasion. But Lord, we know the truth, and we know what it's really all about. And and um, Lord, thank you for giving this indescribable gift of your Son to us, and the difference that he continues to make in our lives and eternity. The half hasn't been told yet, Father. Help us connect with your truth in a meaningful way. Holy Spirit, we ask you tonight for revelation. More than information, we ask that you reveal things to us in our inward parts, Lord, that that your word becomes engrafted into us, and when we leave here it will be a part of us in a way, Father, that can never be taken from us. Thank you, Lord, for, again, a great time together in Jesus' name. amen. 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 So um, if you can uh, believe it, we are actually uh, on class number 18, I'll put the title slide back up, and online, and so we're going to continue tonight answering this question, what is man, and um, we're going to talk a little bit more about spirit beings, and then we're going to get to number three, which involves the legal authority here on, on planet Earth. And I think it's some things that, uh, again, let the Holy Spirit help you tonight. Um, And I believe it's going to be some things that are really going to answer some questions for you and help you see some things in a way that maybe you haven't seen them before. Um, Let me come back on camera for a moment before I uh, do a little bit of review. Just remember, okay, um, there are a lot of things that people believe about God and about life that are not scriptural. It's traditions. It's things that people have passed down. Things that become, uh, you know, common catchphrases in our in our world today that uh, are not supported by the Word of God. Uh, Satan, our enemy, is a deceiver. He's a liar, and this is how he makes his living by, you know, deceiving people and especially God's people into thinking it's one way when it's actually another way and i'm telling you that because we're going to get into some stuff this evening that goes against the grain of a lot of traditional religious teaching but we're going to see it in the word of god amen we're going to see it in the word of god not my opinion uh you know somebody says pastor mark you mean to say no no i'm i'm not saying it i didn't say this god said it amen (laughs) and and so there's there's reasons for this like a couple of classes ago, when we, we were over in the book of Psalms and then again in the Gospel of John, where Jesus says, You are God's with a lowercase g. A lot of people don't even want to touch that with a 10 foot pole. Uh, but there was, Why is it in there? Why is that in the Bible? What, what is God trying to say to us about that? And, and that's truth, amen? And the truth's what sets you free. Think of it this way um, truth breaks chains, amen? Truth breaks chains. And strong chains need strong truth. Strong chains need strong truth. And so the devil never wants you to know anything about God. He never wants you to know anything or hear anything that God ever said. And if you do hear something that God said, he's going to come immediately and try to steal it from you. okay? Because it's easier for him to do what he's trying to do uh, in and through your life uh, the less you know uh, the truth and and the, and the wisdom of God. But then there are certain things that, and in the Old Testament it's, it talks about ankle-deep water, what waist-deep water, neck-deep water, then water's deep enough to swim in. And so it's, it's the deeper things of God that, that we need to continue to move into, not so we can be all intellectual and uh, you know, try to impress people with how brilliant we are. It's, it's, it's not about that. It's, it's the deeper truth, the stronger truth, if you will, that uh, breaks the chains. You got any guitar players in the room? Anybody play guitar in the room? Okay, that's nobody. I got my hand raised, but I don't play one. Uh, anybody ever heard someone tune a guitar? Okay, and so they get out here on this end and they start and, and they're tightening the string, trying to trying to bring it into, into tune. And of course, you know what's gonna happen if they, if they over tighten it, it's, it's gonna break uh, that string. And if you look at the earthly ministry of Jesus, he kept increasing uh gradually, incrementally, the truth that he presented to people. Uh because what he's trying to do is is break the chain without offending them. Because it's a fine line, right? We see there were things Jesus preached that offended a whole bunch of people, and they walked away and and as far as we know, never received, never heard for themselves the truth that would have made a completely different outcome for their lives. So <clears throat> those of you in the room who are who are called to to publicly you know teach and preach the word of god just you know remember that um a a dear friend and ministry partner of mine he says um i'm going to tell you the truth i'm always going to tell you the truth he said but rarely am i going to tell you the whole truth in other words because he doesn't mean he's he's going to in any way compromise the truth but you know you just stand up in front of a bunch of people remember i said it this way don't Don 't like walk into your parents' front door and say, "Oh by the way, uh, I learned at the foundry I'm a god you know because that, 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 that's not that's not what the Bible says anyway okay um, but that's going to offend people right you know, so that's why I like to ease I ease into things sometimes Th- things that are that are really strong and and potentially offensive because i don't want to offend you and you shut down uh, before we can get the strong enough truth to you. That'll, that'll break these, uh, you know, chains and hang-ups and, and uh, you know, what have you in our lives. Does that make sense? Okay. So we're going we're gonna to dig into some of this. This, this is one of the – by the way, Class 18's halfway, right? Eight, 18 of 36, that's a milestone, so I like to point those out. But of all the classes in this uh, series of 36, this is the one over the years that I've received the most, I don't know, pushback. I don't know if this is the right – you know, people like come the following class loaded for bear, you know, it's like there's no way, you know, And so, so I don't, listen, you can disagree with me, you can ask me questions, I'm learning just like you, but there's some really important things here that, that we need to, um, to, to know and understand, okay, so we're going to ease into those things tonight, and the Holy Spirit's going to help us, amen? amen? All right, so we're answering this question, what is man, and uh, the first thing we said is that man is a God class being, now we're not going to try to reteach all that, we spent a class and a half on that and exactly what that means and why it's important. But I'll say it in a nutshell. God made you to look like He looks and to function the way He functions. He made you just a little bit lower than Himself. He made you comparable to Himself because compatibility requires comparability. In other words, if you understand... Um, the purposes and the reasons for which God created you, among those are to love you, to be loved by you, to have relationship, fellowship with you, to be able to have conversation with you, all of these things uh, that would have never been possible if he did not make you uh, comparable to himself. So comparability determines compatibility, and God created you to be so compatible with him that you know a human being could actually you know, bear his his young, okay, it could, could be, uh, you know, could conceive a child uh, of his and give birth to it here uh, on planet Earth. So man is a God-class being. What is man? Man is a God-class being. The devil never wants you to know that, never wants you to understand that, okay? Then uh, number two, the one we started on last week, is that we said that man is a spirit being. Man is a spirit being. And this one... I'll just be real honest with you, okay? I've, I've been knowing this, teaching this, renewing my mind to this for many, many years, but it still at times can be a challenge for me to think of myself according to the Word of God, according to the truth, that I am a spirit being that has a soul that lives in a body, okay? So, again, man is a spirit being. We are not physical beings trying to have a spiritual experience. We are spirit beings experiencing a physical reality. Um, I've, got, I've got some sermons. I don't know when I'm going to uh, get around to preaching them. I, I'm, I'm excited about preaching them. I just, the Lord's had me kind of focused on some other things. Usually that means one of two things, that there's more to all this that I know right now, and so it's kind of on the back burner, simmering uh, un- until the appointed time, or the things that I'm preaching and teaching now are necessary foundations for those things. But I'll give, I'll give you just a, 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 a brief glimpse into this. I don't know if you've ever uh, had to wear a cast, uh, like, you know, broken leg, broken arm, something along those lines. And so the idea is that, you know, you are uh, restrained because you're trying to operate and live with the restrictions imposed upon you, by uh, a leg that won't bend anymore <laughs> because it's in a cast or an or an elbow or, or what have you if you if, if if that's if you've never experienced that firsthand then good for you and, and and god bless you okay when i was younger i I had broken some different bones and so i, I do have that personal experience and i know that may sound a little weird but um <clears throat> if you begin to think along those lines as you know you are a spirit you are a spirit being okay and you live inside of uh, a physical body, there's coming a day when the restrictions that are imposed upon us by this physical body are going to be no more. Um, the tent that we live in now will one day be, uh, become a glorified body. This mortal must put on immortality. And the limitations imposed upon us because we're trapped, so to speak, <laughs> you are trapped inside of a physical body um and so in this is jesus right we're celebrating christmas when jesus came to this earth he's the eternal son of god and now he's he's learning how the bible talks about him learning you think how why did jesus have to learn anything right well he it's, he's learning how to live as a spirit being with the limitations imposed upon him by a physical body amen All right, I've probably gone too far down that road, but I'm just trying to help you see it from a little different angle uh, in, in the sense that you are a spirit being that has a soul that lives in a body. Satan always wants you to think of yourself as either a physical being only or at least a physical being first, okay? And that's why we say it that way, that, you know, a physical being trying to have a spiritual experience. If we start thinking about the mental part and the emotional part and the, and even the spiritual part uh, of, of you know, just what the world calls token mentions or what I call token mentions by the world of these things, um, notice they're never put in the perspective of the driving factor. The spirit's never the driving factor. It's just kind of along for the ride and and has some part, you know, in, in your uh, well-being, you know, uh, wholeness, you know, th- th- these kinds of, uh, uh, you know, Middle Eastern approaches and, and philosophical approaches and things of this nature, okay? But again, that's the devil trying to minimize what God has maximized, and that is you are a spirit being. So let me give you just a couple of verses that we, didn't, that we did not get to on um, on last week, and uh, the first one is in John chapter 6, verse 63, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. And this is John 6 63. I would recommend you becoming uh, aware of and familiar with uh, this verse. He said, The Spirit, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So even when we talk about the Word of God, Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is living and powerful. It's living and powerful. It's more than just a book that you read. It's a book that reads you back. It's a book that you may not yet understand, but it's a book that understands you. It It contains the eternal wisdom of God. And we see that Jesus even is that book made living form, living flesh. Okay, And so when we talk about the words of God, notice that God says His words fall into the category of things that are spirit. In 1 Corinthians, he says that they must be spiritually discerned or spiritually understood. He even goes so far there to say that to the natural man, the things of the Spirit of God are foolishness. Makes no sense. Seems ridiculous, right? It's because it it doesn't compute uh, with the flesh. uh, But what your flesh cannot understand, your spirit is eager to hear and to receive from God. Now... Let's go to second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. I think we ended here last week and um, I don't I don't know that we actually looked at this verse but I want to make sure that um, that we do as we kind of review and transition tonight so second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16 it says therefore we do not lose heart even though our outward man is perishing yet the inward man is being renewed day by day now let's take let's take the first part of this first where he says, we do not lose heart. Losing heart would be, you know, becoming discouraged, becoming frustrated, uh, getting to a point that you're ready just to quit and walk away and go do something different instead of continuing to pursue uh, and go after the things that God has for you, the life that God created you to live, the purposes for which he created you to live. And, and of course, if, if anyone ever had reason to, to quit or to, uh, you know, uh, tuck it in early, it would have been the Apostle Paul. Uh, Everything that that he endured, the, you know, shipwreck, beaten, stoned to death, raised from the... I mean, all these things. Uh, And, you know, in other places, you know, where he says, yet none of these things move me. Uh, And so when he says we do not lose heart he's talking here about focus. As a matter of fact, in, in two verses down, he's going to say that instead of focusing on the things that we can see, we've got to learn how to focus on the, on the things that we can't see. Because everything that we can see is temporary uh, but the, and, and, and visible, but the things that are invisible that we can't see, he says they're eternal. And, and we don't live our lives focused on the, the visible, temporary, but we live our lives focused on the invisible and the eternal. Well, how do, we, how do we do that? How do we even know what that is? The Word of God. The Word of God, living and powerful, reveals these invisible things to us. Amen? And, and we live our lives according to that. And so he's, he's talking about something here that, again, I think is one of the most Im- important Uh, understandings as far as our continued growth and development is concerned because a lot of people get only so far in in their walk with God and in their growth and understanding of the ways of God they they, and then they kind of hit a ceiling they it's like they can't quite punch through that and and move on past that and and I believe one of the main reasons that that's the case involves the wisdom and truth is being revealed to us in this passage right here. And so he says, even though our outward man is is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So you are a three-dimensional being. You are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. You are a three-dimensional being. Most people think of themselves as a one-dimensional being. Most people uh, think of themselves one-dimensionally instead of as God created us. What is man, right? Okay, man is a spirit being, and you are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. And and we'll get into spirit, soul, and body in, in the days ahead in great detail, okay? But the point that I want to just lay out for you now that we will come back and build some more on later, is this idea of two opposing realities. (laughs) Stay with me now. Two opposing realities taking place in the same person at the same time. It it sounds like, you know, some science fiction. It sounds like there's no way this can be. Yet right here he's saying that there's one part of him that is in a slow state of decline... But there's another part of him that is in a constant state of of increase, that that is in a a constant state of renewal. And of course, we know that the inward part of a a man is his spirit and his soul, also uh, known as the heart of a man. The heart, the Bible has a lot to say about our heart, does it not? So the heart is the combination of the spirit and soul. Okay, in the Greek, it's the word cardia. K A R D I A. We got drawings on all this. Again, I'm just giving you a little overview here. And that's the combination of the spirit and soul. And so, he says that there's one part that's going this way, while there's another part going this way at the same time in the same person. See, we we live in a world that that you know, looks at the outward part of a person and whatever that outward part seems to be saying, and and you know through uh actions behavior what have you we think that that somehow tells the whole story of a person and according to the word of god it absolutely positively does not so the outward man is perishing at the same time the inward man is being renewed day by day now i want to i want to show you this on a couple of different, uh, in a couple of different places, okay? So Galatians chapter 4 and verse 1. Look at this. Now, man, this is this is uh, fascinating, okay? Uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now I say, so we're, we'll talk about why he begins the verse that way. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. King James Version says, though he be Lord of all, Okay? Now, let's talk about now, I say. Because in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 of the book of Galatians, the uh, Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is laying out just line upon line, just layer upon layer. He's layering it in, truth upon truth, precept upon precept, understanding upon understanding. And he's building this undeniable case from the Word of God that we are now heirs of God. Because we've been born of God, that we've put on Christ, That we are now in Christ. That through the new birth, we've received a new identity in Christ. That there's neither male nor female. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. And I mean, he's building this thing in chapter 3 to this crescendo, right? And he says, so now, even if you're a non-biological descendant, meaning meaning you're not physically born of Jewish blood, even though you're a non-biological descendant, Of Abraham, because you've been born of God's Spirit and incorruptible uh, Word, you are now an heir of God, just like Abraham. All right? So he's presenting this. Again, like a Philadelphia lawyer, I mean, he's just laying it out, just right there, boom, boom, boom. He even talks about the curse, right? He says that, that you know, we were all under the curse of sin, but that Jesus came under that curse and lifted it off of us and carried it away so that the blessing of Abraham could now come upon the Gentiles, now come upon you and me. So he's laying all these things out. But the Holy Spirit, again, through the Apostle Paul, is anticipating the question that people are going to have, right? And that question goes something like this. If I am an heir of God, if I am all of that that you're saying I am, then why am I having this problem? And why am I dealing with this issue? And why can't I overcome this? And why is this kicking in my tail? And why can't I... Why can't I pay my power bill? Why this? Why that? Right. In other words, they're like, okay, if all this is true, then why is it like this in my life reality? And so he says, now I say that the heir, right? Anticipating the question. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is. I like the King James Version here again. Though he be. Okay. Because we're not talking about doing now. We're talking about being. Being. What God, what what God made you to be, Amen. Though He be Lord of all, so so what He's talking about here. Look, listen now. He's talking about a ruler living like a slave. He's talking about somebody who's actually uh, a lord, ruler, master of all, living like someone who is under and and being ruled by everyone and everything else in life. So, do you see how on on one hand this individual amen is lord of all but on the other hand their life reality looks more like that of a slave than the true uh ruler and master that they are are you am i am i connecting with anybody in the room tonight is this making sense to you okay uh, can anybody relate to this right i know i certainly can amen so but see the world says no there's no way they can be a, living like a slave while at the same time be be lord of all but again we're talking about who and what God made you. Now, let, let, let's real quick, like, as long as he is a child. That word child there means three very important things. Child, first of all, means one who is ignorant. Okay? Now, ignorant simply means you don't know. If you're ignorant, that means you don't know. Okay? But are you, how many of you happy there's a cure for ignorance? You can learn. Amen. You, you can learn. You can learn what you don't know. And and if you lack wisdom, ask of God. He gives to all people liberally. He's no respecter of persons. Amen. But again, if we're going to learn, we're going to have to do what you're doing right now. You know what I'm saying? Eat out of a box because you don't want to miss class. <laughs> Amen. In other words, it's going to require some effort on our part to learn. We're going to have to cooperate with. We're actually going to actually going to have to open the Bible and put our face in it for a little while. You know, you see what I'm saying? Um, on a daily basis, amen? And let the Holy Spirit teach us and, 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 and let the Holy Spirit lead us to, to men and women who uh, God has given things to to teach us. But there's a cure for ignorance. But when he says as long as he's a child, he differs nothing at all from a slave, he's, he's literally saying as long as he's ignorant, he's going to live like a slave even though he's not a slave anymore. So number one, it means one who's ignorant. Number two, one who is immature. Ignorant, immature. So immature, think, not fully developed, aren't you glad there is a cure for immaturity? In other words, we can grow, we can develop. Uh, I, I believe, you know, the, the ultimate answer to the hiccups and hangups and, and, and bad habits and addictions and things of that nature even in our lives, that the ultimate answer is to outgrow those things, is to outgrow them, where you know, where we mature beyond that. So one who is a child is one who is ignorant, one who is immature. Now, the, 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 the third one is going to seem a little bizarre to some of you, but the third one is unable to speak on one's own behalf. Ignorant, immature, unable to speak on one's own behalf. And I use this example probably, you know, my son took this class two or three times, I don't know, and I, I, would, I would feel a little, you know, reluctant to say this with him in here. But when he was a little kid, you know, this is the visual image I have of this. The, the server at the restaurant, she leans down and she says, what would you have, young man? And he buried his face in his mother's side, right? Because he wasn't, he wasn't ready to speak on his own behalf, okay? Now, I believe those three things, all three of them are curable because the more you know and the more, more you mature and, and then the more you're able to speak on your own behalf, okay? So he's saying that, um, that, that you're an heir, but as long as you are a child, You differ nothing from a slave, though you be master of all. Make sure you understand this. He's not saying that when you learn and mature and can speak on your own behalf, He'll make you an heir. That's not what He's saying. He's already made you an heir. He's already made you an heir. He's already made you free. Whom the Son makes free shall be free indeed. So it's learning how to live like an heir. It's learning how to live like someone who uh, is ruling and reigning in life instead of being ruled and reigned over in uh, life? Okay, so I got one more for you, and then we'll come back in the days ahead and we'll look at some other ones like this. But but here Hebrews ten and fourteen, Hebrews ten and fourteen, it says this: For by one offering, he and he being Jesus, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. For by one offering, this is talking about Him offering Himself, His own blood, as as opposed to what was previously done in Judaism where the, the blood of bulls and goats were offered. But remember what He said, that those sacrifices had to be made over and over and over and over again. Jesus, His sacrifice, was one sacrifice for all sin for all time. And so by one offering, notice now, He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now, this word sanctified is talking about a process that, that is ongoing in our lives to where we are becoming set apart from this world, this world's ways of doing, this world's ways of living, this world's ways of thinking, this world's ways of getting ahead, and all, you know anything and everything that has to do with this world. We're being set apart from that unto God. Unto God. Sanctified or set apart, it's not just what you're set apart from, What god separates you from but most importantly it's what he separates you to are you following this okay so to be sanctified means to be set apart from the darkness but to be set apart unto the light and so when he says those who are being sanctified he's talking about our being is is talking about a present tense ongoing progressive developing work in our lives where we learn, overcome ignorance, where we grow, overcome immaturity. And the more we do that, we start getting more and more bold in, in, in our confessions and things that we say, speaking to mountains, telling other people about Jesus, giving testimony to the glory of His name. We could go on and on and on, all right? You follow me? Am I going too fast? Okay. So, but if you pay close attention to what he's saying here, he's saying that you are a perfect, that you are a perfect work in progress, So that doesn't make sense to the one-dimensional mind. I'm sorry, to someone who thinks one-dimensionally. To a one-dimensional mindset. Because you're either perfect or you're not. Right? But that's not what he's saying here. He's saying that he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. You're a perfect work in progress. Guess what part of you has been perfected forever? Your spirit, your born-again spirit has been perfected forever. It's become one with God. Amen. It has become as free and as right as Jesus is free and right today. Amen. Amen. So you say, well, then, you know, how how do I live that out in my in my daily life? Learning, maturing, speaking. Amen. All right. Amen. Is this making sense to you? Yeah. Yeah. All right, so one more verse. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16. It says, Therefore, from now on, anybody remember this from uh those of you who were here in the very beginning, um, we we spent maybe two weeks in 2 Corinthians 5. But he says, from now on, meaning from this point forward, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. All right, there's a lot that we've already said about this, and uh, I don't want to get too bogged down here because there's some other stuff I want to get to, but the... The outward man, this outward part of us, it it doesn't tell the whole story, at least not yet. Amen? <laughs> this outward part of us doesn't tell the whole story. And this is why he's saying that we should not uh, regard or judge or determine the worth of or the potential of or the future of. Uh, someone based upon what we see uh, looking only at their outward man looking only at their flesh and he and he uses Jesus as an example because remember the prophet said that just to look at Jesus there was there was really nothing about him that uh, at least physically speaking don't I'm not in other words he looked like other human beings in other words right um, I know sometimes artists draw him with this kind of like halo behind his head and stuff like that. But, you know, I mean, in the spirit, yes. But, but just walking down the street, that was not necessarily the case, okay? And so he says, in the same way that we knew Jesus according to the flesh, but now we know him thus no longer. What is he saying? He says, in the same way that there was a whole lot more to Jesus than met the eye, there's also a whole lot more to you than meets the eye, and so we can't. We can't. And so, when we talk about even ministering to people, you you cannot minister to them or even decide whether or not you're going to reach out to them. I I, I had a I had a unique experience recently, where, um. Someone just. It was a God divine appointment, right? Where someone just all of a sudden just unexpectedly, whatever, just began to open up to me, pour their heart out to me. And and I had an open door to share Jesus and to share the word, and and, and it, 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 this gentleman got emotional. Again, I'm not gonna say too much about that because I wouldn't want to make him think that I'm talking about him on, on the air to other people, okay? Um, but, you know, in the same way, just looking at this individual, you would never think that that, that would have ever been anywhere near him or any thought that he had or what have you and yet that's what was going on inside of him are you seeing this okay so one last comment on this when he says to regard no one according to the flesh uh, that includes you do you understand what I mean by that Uh, I'm I'm not going to regard you according to the flesh and with the Lord's help I'm not going to regard me according to the flesh do you follow what I'm saying? Nor show yourself the same courtesy. Amen. Remind yourself that there is a whole lot more potential in you than, than you've ever realized, that you're capable of a whole lot more than, than you've yet to actually uh, uh, produce, amen, in this created realm. Jesus said the works that He did, you would do also, and even greater works because He went to His Father. That potential is in every born-again believer. Well, praise God. All right, let's move on. You ready to move on? So what is man? Let's look at it. Let's look at another one now. Um, man is a God class being. That's number one. Number two, man is a spirit being. And then number three, man is the legal authority on earth. Man is the legal authority on earth. And this is going to answer a lot of questions for you. So Let's, um, let's allow the Holy Spirit to help us and, and, and open our eyes to some things. Um, I'm going to get a little bit ahead of myself but because I'm, I'm feeling led to do this. You see, a common false belief among people today is that God is somehow a puppet master and everything that happens, good, bad, or indifferent on planet Earth, is somehow magically His will. And that's not true. That's not true. Um, You know, I I was, and it's not the first time I've heard it, and unfortunately it won't be the last time I've heard it, but, you know, people talking about, you know, why did God take so-and-so? Why did God take this person? Listen, if they were born again, God received them, but he didn't take them, okay? Jesus made it very clear. He said he didn't come to take life, come to give it. All right, so amen, just don't. Let me ease into this. I'm getting a little strong here, okay? Um, this is one of my favorite quotes from a, a pastor out of Chicago. Maybe you've heard of him, Bill Winston. He's actually from, originally from Alabama. He said, God's not running the world. God's running the church. Okay? now that makes a lot of people nervous, but um, Jesus identified Satan as the ruler of this world. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says that Satan is the lowercase g-o-d, God of this world. Now, you think, whoa, hold on a second, Pastor Mark. Well, let's, let's, let's look at it, right? Genesis 1 and 26, it says this. Then God said, let us, we've looked at this one already, haven't we? Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So plural pronouns, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, is going to make a, a human being, amen, spirit, soul, and body. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are three yet one. And when he made you, he made you three yet one. Okay? And then notice the first thing he says. Make them in our image and according to our likeness. This means to look the way God looks and to function the way God functions. You were created to function the way God functions. Okay? And then he says this. Let them have dominion. The King James Version says let them rule. Okay? over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, as the Bible unfolds, we see that the dominion of mankind is over all the works of God's hands. Over all the works of God's hands, all right? And so, a key phrase here is, let them have dominion, or let them rule. Now, sometimes, well, let's just do it, praise God. Every word that God's ever spoken to us and preserved for us and provided a, a you know a copy of for us is is of the utmost importance. Okay. But when we get to the the beginning book of you know you know Genesis and then the first few chapters even of Genesis, so much of that you know is setting the stage for what we're continuing. To live out and experience to this day, e- even when you look at how Satan worked against uh, Adam and Eve, okay, it's the same same way that he worked against Jesus, and it's the same way that he works against you and me. It's a lot of, I think the I think the key word here is precedent. A lot of precedent, and in, in other words, we see uh, the, a setting of the stage in Genesis for how so many things. Are going to unfold or at least how how so many things were meant by God to unfold throughout the rest of the Bible including in my life and in your life today to this very day okay now when when I say that it's condensed have you ever I don't know we 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 live now in in a digital world and it's just so easy to type in an address and your phone tells you you know turn by turn to get there but have you ever looked at like a, a paper map of, of the world? And somewhere down in, in one of the corners, usually the, the bottom right corner, there's something called a scale. And it's not a scale like how much the map weighs, but it's a scale that tells you something like maybe one inch equals 500 miles, right? So that kind of, you know, if you want to know how far it is from... Uh, Birmingham Alabama to Fort Worth Texas you can measure it and get a rough idea because that's the scale of of the map so I believe the scale of these first few chapters of Genesis is this statement right here and he made the stars also and he made the stars also how many of you (laughs) have heard that there are literally billions upon billions of stars. Uh, things that we once thought were a star, we now know it's not a star at all, it's a galaxy of stars. We hear that, you know, we've discovered a new star. It's not necess- that doesn't mean that star just uh, was created, it means that the light from that star finally reached the earth. That's how far away it is. And God knows every one of them. He created every one of them. But again, the Bible is not a book of creation. So when he puts in there and he made the stars also, that ought to give us some idea of how condensed that these these words are in in this opening part. In in other words, you, you can't discount a single one of them. So, like when I say "let them have dominion," and I I single that phrase out, you know, some people say, "Well, you're reading too much into that, Pastor Mark." Well, if the Bible didn't have anything else to say about it, then yeah, maybe I maybe I am reading too much into it. But the Bible has a whole lot more to say about it. That's introduced to us in a very condensed, in a very compressed way in uh, in in Genesis chapter one and verse 26. Let me see if I can say it another way. God created you to have dominion in your domain. He did not create you to be His slave or His servant. Amen? He didn't create you to be anybody's slave or anybody's servant for that matter. Are you, are you, are you, are you still what I'm saying here? He created you to, to co-labor together with Him. He created you to be His offspring in, in the earth. Amen? And He created you to rule and reign as His representative in the earth. Amen. So, let's let's look at this a little more. Psalm 115 and verse 16. Psalm 115 and verse 16. It says, The heaven, even the heavens, plural, we've talked about that, are the Lord's, but the earth He's given to the children of men. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth He's given to the children of men. So He gave the earth to you and me. Now, We can take the time we want, we can take the time there's other verses that clearly say that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so you're thinking, well, is the Bible contradicting itself? And the answer is no, the Bible's not contradicting itself. So how are we then to understand this? It helps me to think of it as a lease agreement. The earth belongs to God. But he has given legal authority over it to you and to me. As a matter of fact, Jesus confirmed this in Luke chapter 20 and verse 9. Then he began to tell the people this parable: A certain man planted a vineyard, leased it to vine dressers, and went into a country for a long time. And then, of course, we know things are going to play out. But eventually, he's going to come back, amen, and 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 reclaim. Uh, what has been his uh, all along. So, when we talk about a lease agreement, if um, and the, the Lord has really blessed our church, we have uh, some rental properties, some commercial rental properties. Uh, Pam and I, uh, over the years, have uh, been blessed to own uh, some residential rental properties. And if you've ever owned a rental property, or have ever leased uh, a, a business or a home from someone, you know that if the owner needs to get in to that property to fix something for your benefit, they have to get your permission. Am I right about this? You follow what I'm saying? In other words, you got a problem. Uh, you're, you live in one of the houses that, that I own, and you got a problem with the furnace, and you need me to come fix the furnace... And even though I have a key, I can't just go into that house, legally anyway, I can't just go into that house as I I please. In other words, I've got to get your permission to come to your domain, even though I own the house, you've been given legal authority over it. Are you seeing this? All right. So this is how we're to understand. Does the earth belong to the Lord? Yes, it does. But He has leased it, if you will. He has given you and me legal authority over this planet. There's coming a day when the lease will be up. Amen. And, and and Father God is well it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Amen. He's going to he's going to completely redo everything. All right? So as we begin to understand this, and sometimes I say this and I I don't want to mislead anybody by this statement, okay? But if this is true and it's true, but if if you're not yet convinced then let's start with, okay, if this is true, then what does this mean? All right, that, That's ultimately where I'm trying to get us to tonight. Um, again, so many people believe that God just does anything He wants to do, anytime He wants to do it, and everything that happens and everything that doesn't happen is somehow God's will on planet Earth. And you know we're not uh, smart enough to understand it, and one day maybe we will. Uh, and even if you don't, just tough cookies because He's God and you're not. And, and 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 this is not the nature, the character of our heavenly Father. This is not how He uh, operates and functions. Okay, so let's go to Luke twenty. I'm sorry, Luke. Let's go to Psalm twenty-four. Psalm twenty-four, verses one through ten. Well, I get, I get excited about this because this is this is important stuff right here. Okay. Psalm 24, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read it to you from the New King James Version. I'll probably make a little comments along the way. But then I'm going to read it to you from another translation that I think is going to really bring it to life for you, okay? It says this. It says, The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who is not... Lifted his soul up uh, to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, Selah. Okay, now, verse 7. Listen carefully. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up you everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Again, Selah. Now, Selah means to pause and think about it. So don't just rush through this. Think about what he's saying here. Think about what what is being communicated and what is being revealed to us here. Now, the part to me that's so pivotal here is, begins, I mean, all of it's important to misunderstand me, but when he says, lift up your heads, O you gates, he's talking about gates with heads on them. He's not talking about a physical gate. He's talking about you and me. And notice, the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof, there, thereof, but we become the gate through which He is able to gain entry into the affairs of mankind. You still with me? Let's go to the same uh, verse. We'll start at verse 7 in the Passion Translation. It says this, So wake up, you living gateways. Lift up your heads... You ageless doors of destiny, welcome the king of glory, for he is about to come through you. You ask, who is this glory king, the Lord armed and ready for battle, the mighty one invincible in every way? Verse number 9, So wake up, you living gateways, and rejoice. Fling wide, you ageless doors of destiny. Here He comes. The King of glory is ready to come in. You ask, who is this King of glory? He is the Lord of victory, ready for battle, the mighty one, the invincible commander of heaven's hosts. Yes, He is the King of glory. Think about that now. Okay. We become the living gateway through which God is able to work and operate in the earth. Our connection to Him becomes the door by which He enters the affairs of mankind. When you look at all the things that God has done in the earth, okay? now I know this is a, this is a lot to look at, but when you look at all the things that God has done in the earth, the common denominator is Him finding a man or a woman that would cooperate with Him. We sometimes take that for granted. But we see that God has always looked for someone who would work together with Him to see His purposes carried out here in the earth. In other words, He's looking for uh, a leaseholder who will say, yes, come on, you can work through Me. You can come through Me. I will be the living gateway. I am an ageless door of destiny through which My heavenly Father can enter into and flow through Me So that His purposes can come to pass here and prosper in our hands. How did Jesus teach us to pray? He said, pray, Father, that that Your kingdom would come and that Your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. He taught us to pray that way. Amen. Now, get excited. So let's just talk about three really important figures, okay? Abraham. Abraham. God wanted to do some things. In the earth. And he needed somebody to to work together with him. And so he invited Abraham to leave his homeland where they worshipped all kinds of gods. The moon god, I think, was their their, uh, main go-to of of false idols and gods and things that they worshipped. And and Abraham says, "Uh, well, you know, okay, I'll go, but where are we going? He says, I'll tell you when we get there. And Abraham said, Sarah, get your stuff. Now, if you look very closely at Abraham's life and his journey and why he's one of the greatest heroes of faith that ever lived, amen, we see that he trusted God. He trusted God before, you know, he didn't know where he was going, but he trusted God, right? you seeing this, right? He trusted Him. Then then Moses, though, I think might be one of the... uh, one, one of the most poignant examples of, of what we're talking about now. Because when you look at the, uh, the dialogue between God and Moses, when God's explaining to Moses that he's going to use him to set his people free from Egyptian slavery, and, and Moses has given him every reason and every ex, excuse. I don't know if they're excuses. They seem like excuses to me. I can't talk. I'm this. I'm not. You know, they're one. You know, he gives all, every one of them God has an answer for. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like there, it's not almost, it is it's exactly like there, there is even an urgency on, uh, on God's part uh, for Moses to quit making excuses and get on with it. Amen? Amen? Now, thank God for Abraham, thank God for Moses, and there's countless others, you know. I mean, you see like where God's wanting to do something, and the first thing he starts doing is talking to people about working together with them to see it come to pass in the earth but the greatest and forever the greatest example of this is Jesus himself because Jesus became a man and dwelt among us Now, there's a, there's a very important reason for that I'm gonna show you some uh, words from the Old Testament that confirm this but Jesus coming to this earth as a man Emptying himself of everything that, that made him the uncreated eternal Son of God and taking upon himself the form of a servant. He did that. He did that for you and me as a man so that the victory that he won as a man could then become yours as a man or a woman. Amen. See, Jesus could have taken the, the authority that uh, you know, God gives Adam and Eve. I skipped over this part and probably this would help, okay? God gives authority over this uh, planet to uh, Adam and Eve, and then what did they do? They bowed their knee to God's archenemy. They they submitted themselves and put themselves under His authority, under His rule. And so Jesus came to take back the authority that originally belonged to mankind. He could have done that as the eternal Son of God, and it would have been His. But He did it, as not the Son of God, but as the Son of David, as the Son of Man, He did it as a man so that He could then give that victory and give that authority back to you and me. Have you ever wondered why, for example, when Jesus is raised from the dead and He appears to His disciples and He says, all authority in heaven and in earth, all authority in heaven and in earth has now been given to me. And then what did He do? He gave it back to them. He gave it back to you and me. You get anything out of this so far? Okay. So Jesus became a man and dwelt among us. Now, watch this. Uh, we'll look at two verses, Isaiah 59 and Isaiah 63. I'll put them on the screen. Man, let me say hi to the people on camera. I left that screen overlay a long time there. Uh, y'all can hear me, though. That's the most important. All right, let's, let's come back to it. Isaiah 59 and verse 16. It says, He saw that there was no man. So this is God, and He says, there's no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness, it sustained him. Alright, let's go to sixty-three, five. And then we'll comment on both of these. Isaiah 63 and 5. It says, I looked, but there was no one to help, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury, it sustained me. So what is he saying, he looked and there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor? What is he talking about here? He's looking for a Daniel. He's looking for somebody on planet earth who will cooperate and work together with him to see his will carried out on this earth. And we see that there have been times throughout human history where God looked for someone to cooperate with Him so that He could get something done that He wanted to see done on this planet and there was nobody to intercede. There was no man to cooperate or work together with Him. And so this is why He says, Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me. In verse uh, 59, verse 16, Therefore, His own arm brought salvation for Him and His own righteousness, it sustained Him. What is He saying? He's like, you know what? I I can't find a man that will that'll, that'll always be there uh, you know, for me to work with in the earth. So I'm going to send Jesus to become a man. Amen? Amen. I'm going to send Jesus to become a man. And we are members of His body, are we not? Amen. We are His ambassadors on this planet, are we not? We're in this world and we're not of this world. Which means now Father God has some people on this earth that He can work with and work through and work together with to see happening on this earth what He desires to see happening here on this earth. Amen? Amen? Amen. Okay, let me keep going here. Praise God. Luke chapter 10. Let's go there. Luke chapter 10. We'll look at verses 1 and 2. So a little different tonight. Got a little different flavor. We're laying some groundwork. We're doing a little plowing, doing some planting, breaking up some fallow ground, weeding out some things that need to be weeded out, some, th- some thoughts that we've had that, that, that don't line up with Scripture. And you uh, said, Pastor Mark, I'm still not convinced. Well, just hang in here. I'm, I'm far from finished, all right? Now, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. It says, After these things the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them out two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, based on what Jesus is saying, does the number of workers affect how many people are reached? The the answer is yes. If you've got five people... Doing the work, then you're going to get the results of five, and five people working together with God can get a lot done. Don't misunderstand me. Okay. But he said the more people we have, the more laborers that we have, the more harvest we can bring in. Will the same number of people be reached no matter how many workers are involved in the harvest? No. 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 My uh, wife's uncle, he's in heaven now, went to, went to, went to be home with the Lord um, this year. And um, he lives in Lakeland, Florida. Uh, and I don't know if it's the strawberry capital of the world, but if it's not, it ought to be. And strawberry harvest in Lakeland, um, it's just oceans of strawberries. I mean, it, it, it's like just these massive acres and acres and acres of... of And all them strawberries start getting ripe basically at the same time, and they try to stagger plant them, but, you know. um, And if they do not have workers to gather in those strawberries, they will literally ruin on the vines. Now, what he says here, and I'm going to read this last part. The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So let's follow this, let's follow this very closely, okay? Why does Jesus ask us to pray for laborers to be sent into the harvest fields? In other words, why is it necessary, why is it necessary for us to ask? If there is a need, why doesn't God just go ahead and send the laborers, whether we ask him to or not, again, I'm, I'm think with me, Holy Spirit, help us. Nor is this like, if, if God can just do anything he wants to do anytime he wants to do it on planet Earth, he doesn't need me and you to ask him to send laborers into the harvest. I mean if it's a need, God just go ahead and do it, right? So think about it for a moment. The harvest is His. The laborers are His. But the field where the harvest resides and the responsibility for the harvest is ours. Come on now, we've got to get hold of this. The people who need to be reached are His in the sense that He created them. And the laborers who would go And reach those people are His. But the field where the people who need to be reached are located, that's ours. And the responsibility for reaching those people, it's ours. So He's not just here to kick you aside and truck you over and do whatever He wants to do. It's not how God operates. He's not that kind of landlord. So He says, would you please pray? For more laborers, would you please pray that my Father would send more laborers? Because the more people that we have rolling up their sleeves and doing the work of the ministry, the more people we're going to be able to reach to bring glory to my Father. Much fruit is what glorifies our Father. So this is what we see in Scripture, this concept of being a co-laborer together with God, to be in partnership with God, to be a part of the family business with God. Miles Monroe said it as concisely and as strongly and as, I believe, precisely as it could be said. And and here's his quote Prayer is earthly permission for heavenly interference. Prayer is earthly permission for heavenly interference. Now, I call this section God's Will and Man's Authority. And I'm glad. It's 6.17, by the way, so we've got about, I don't know, about 20 or so minutes. No, about 30 minutes here. Um, and that, sh- that should give us time to get a lot of this covered. Uh, I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not, is this too tedious for you tonight? No. Okay, kind of just got my head down just going at it, okay, up here. Um, <clears throat> Those of you who are are new to the class, thank you uh, for being here. Thank you for taking time out of out of your uh, busy day to um, to give this time to god and, and open up your heart to let him uh, show you some things and teach you some things and, and reveal some things to you. One of the things that that we've covered is that satan's strategy against us involves an effort to trivialize us uh, he he never he never wants you to understand your importance. He never, he, Satan never wants you to understand your role in God's plan uh, for this earth. And, and he, he never wants you to think of yourself as having anything of value to offer. And, and, and I mean, we can just go on and on, you know, with this. And, but this, that's why there's so much resistance around this subject and, and this topic. And a lot of it has to do with so many of God's people hear the word responsibility and they think it's a bad word. You know what I'm saying? We run from responsibility. We shun responsibility. We dodge responsibility. And it's it's so much more convenient to just blame God for anything and everything that happens instead of actually considering the consequences of our own choices and actions. Here's one way that, and I don't have a slide on this, but this is one way that that, that I've said it for years, okay? Things are better when we pray. Anybody believe that? Things are better when we pray, all right? Now watch this, though. I'm I'm, I'm, going to pull a fast one on you, okay? If things are better when we pray, then they're not when we don't. They can't be better when we pray and better when we don't. <laughs> are you following me? Mm-hmm. But see, that's the lie the devil's trying to to, to, to to pass along to everybody. That it's going to turn out how it's going to turn out whether you pray or not. People are going to get saved whether you tell them about Jesus or not. You know what I'm saying? Those folks, they're, they're going to either come to Jesus or they're not, whether you give any money towards missions, work or not. Well, See, he's, he's lying to you. See, it, it, it can't be better when you give and better when you don't. Either your giving makes a difference or it doesn't. Either your prayers make a difference or, or, or they don't. Are, are you seeing this? Okay. And, but see, the, the, the devil never wants us to think of it in, in those ways. Because that's what I mean by the trivialization of man. That whether you pray or not, it's going to turn out how it's going to turn out. God's going to do whatever God's going to do, whether you say anything about it or not, whether you do anything about it or not. That's not true. So things are better when we pray, yes. But things are not when we don't. Now I'm not I'm not trying to put anybody on any kind of guilt trip. I'm not trying to, uh, you know, put some heavy weight on you. Uh, Brother Don and I were talking, you know, after church the other Sunday. He said one well, of the first lessons he learned is that God's yoke is easy and His burden's light. So if it's hard and heavy, it ain't God. And so I'm not I'm not trying to put something hard and heavy on you, but there there is a, a certain responsibility that we have and jesus spelled that out to us in in plain speech in parables in examples from the old testament of both good and bad examples and so we we see all this laid out for us and spelled out for us in in the scriptures okay so what we do makes a difference I know that sounds so simple and so basic, and it's like a duh, Pastor Mark. Of course, okay, but but do we do we? Are you understanding what I'm saying? So this means then that we can do more and make a bigger difference. Amen, amen. So things are better when we pray, and 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 they're not when we don't. So I call this I call this section God's will and man's authority. All right. So words, what what we're establishing here is that, you know, we have God's will, what God desires. When we hear God's will, just, just remember, I don't want you to get so caught up in, in this, you know, this, the mystery of God's will. What we're literally talking about here, God's will, what God desires, what God wants, what God wants for you, what God wants for your family, what God wants for His people, what God wants for His church, what God wants for this world. God didn't just send Jesus to the, to the Christians. He sent Jesus, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. When Jesus bled to death naked on that cross, He did it for the sins of the entire world. The, the iniquity of us all was laid upon Him. He paid for every sin. Those who have called upon Him and received the gift of salvation and those who have not done it yet. This is, this is the heart and the love of our, of our Heavenly Father. And you know, when it comes to specific things in our lives, like us, us being not only having our needs met, but us prospering financially... Us, us, prospering in our relationships, in in, in in as parents, as as husbands and wives, as children, as friends, uh, as as different, you know, uh, employee, employer, all, all, all of these different, uh, you know, relationships that we that we have in life. God's desire, God, He has a lot to say about that in the scriptures. Amen. That's that's some of the very powerful teaching that comes through. The Holy comes through the Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit. He talks about the relationship between, between parents and children. He talks about the relationship between husband and wives. He talks about the relationship between employee and employer. Both sides of it. So all all of these things are, are, again, very important. So when we talk about the will of God for your life, we're talking about, according to Romans 12, the, the, well-pleasing, all, uh, the beneficial, well-pleasing, all-encompassing will of God for your life, <laughs> And then because we are uh, co-laborers together with Him, um, you're partnering with Him, I'm partnering with Him. So how then do we partner with one another to help one another? Uh, it's, it seems like part of my destiny in Father's Kingdom is to help other people find their destiny in Father's Kingdom and then help them, serve them uh, to, to the point that they're actually actively fulfilling that destiny in Father's Kingdom. And, and I get really jazzed up about that. So uh, uh, when we talk about the will of God, we're talking about what God desires, what He wants to see happening. How about this one? God's desires and will for your health. Can we just get it nailed down once and for all? God wants you healthy. He wants you well. That Jesus took stripes on His back so that your physical body could be healed. And that uh, even consequences from abusing your body are not your cross to bear. Jesus bore that cross for you. he carried the the the, 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 the penalty <laughs> the penalty and the punishment for your sin and and the devil would have you punishing yourself for for what Jesus has already been punished uh, on your behalf uh, uh, for you uh, for your sin so when we talk about the the will of God we you know there's a lot of people who are very confused about what God desires, and about what God wants and about who God is and how God operates. And there's a lot there that we need to understand. And we've talked about a lot of that and we'll continue to do so as we work our way through these things. But in this particular conversation, we're talking about how God's will is um, you know, positioned alongside your authority. Because clearly God has given us authority. And so how does God's will and our authority either work together to, uh, for mutual benefit? Amen? Or how does our authority potentially work against God's will and cause us to miss out and Him? You, you do know that you have the right, you have the authority... To say no to him and never experience or enjoy anything that he paid the ultimate price for you to experience and enjoy. You have that kind of authority. I mean, just because it's God's will, <laughs> you know, let, let, me, let me just give it to you straight, okay? If God was ever gonna make anybody do anything, he would make people get saved. He would make people get saved. But even when it comes to salvation, that's your choice. And, and as much as it is His will for you to receive the remission of sins, the complete removal of your sins to never be held against you again, as much as it is His will for you to be baptized and receive power from the Holy Spirit of God and speak in unknown tongues and operate in the gifts of the Spirit, as as much as it's His will and and He paid such a high price just to give you and me the opportunity to to experience these things and and to live these things out in our lives, your your authority, you you can say no and shut it down and and turn your back and walk away. And He's not going to grab you by the back of the neck and force you to do anything. See, a lot of people, they don't... They don't like to hear that, but but that's that's just the reality of it. So let me let me make two statements here, and then we're going to, in the time we have remaining, then next Wednesday we'll pick up where we left off in, in this discussion. But two things, and this is more than opinion, this is more than something we're just, you know, here to debate. No, no, it's, what does the word say? Okay, so number one, not everything, not everything that happens is God's will. This idea that everything that happens on planet Earth is God's will, good or bad, that's not true. All kinds of things happen today on planet Earth that were not God's will. Things that God did not want to happen. Things that God did not desire to happen. Things that God did not plan on happening. Are you hearing me? Okay. All, the, all kinds of things. I know, you know, we're seeing it in, in this metropolitan area, more in, in the city of Birmingham. We're seeing it in other cities around the world where, where people are killing one another at, I guess, is an unprecedented rate. I don't know. Uh, I, think, I think we're well on pace in Birmingham to set a, uh, a record, a terrible record of homicides this year. And, and, they, and they all are, there's, there's none of them that are, that's good. Don't misunderstand me. But, you know, this is, I think, the second time this year a small child asleep in his or her bed. Did y'all hear about that one? Little boy asleep in his bed, drive-by shooting, shot and killed. And, and I, I haven't seen it, so I don't know, and I don't know this family, and I'm not trying to, you know. But how many times in situations like this have we heard, why did God take him? Why did God? Man, that wasn't God's will. That wasn't God's handiwork. That wasn't God's business. Wasn't God's doing. Now, God received him. Are you guess what I'm saying? But God, God didn't take that. Why does God take all the good ones and let the bad ones live? No, see, I heard that one this week. Okay. You know, it's like. See, again, that's that's not understanding the, 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 the power of God or the wisdom of God. Okay. So Not everything that happens is God's will. And then related to that, number two, not everything that is God's will automatically happens. Not everything that is God's will automatically happens. See, do you see how these are related? People believe everything that happens is God's will, and then people believe that anything God wills to happen just automatically happens. The Bible doesn't support that. As a matter of fact, we see in Scripture that things that God wills to happen. How about this one? This is a kind of low-hanging fruit. He says, I'm not willing that any should perish. Yet, people perish prematurely every day. Okay, yes. <laughs> so, well, it's just God's will. You just, you know, just got to understand. You just got to deal with it. Now, listen, I, I have to be careful here, and, and maybe I should have already put this disclaimer out. There, There are people who go through tragic situations and they find some comfort in this mysterious will of god that we don't understand it but god knows best and so this terrible thing happened and it was his will and they they get that listen that i'm not trying to offend anybody and if you're listening to me right now and that's you i'm not i'm not trying to be bombastic i'm not trying to be offensive i'm not trying to be in your face okay uh but but you're 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 holding on something that's ultimately not true which means if it's not true and you're clinging to it there's going to be an element of bondage associated with that thing so the truth will help set you free bring it on brother loud (laughs) On that, how that just... um god's got a plan basically the same thing just said a different way everything happens for a reason anybody ever heard that one? okay <laughs> okay um let's see what's what's another one uh <clears throat> god's will be done god's will will be done this one now don't I'm not going to hide because I know you all not going to throw anything at me, okay? But this one right here is the one. This one right here, right alongside that one. How about this one, brother? I thought this is what she was fixing to say. God is in control. Okay? Yeah,
1: that's what his plan suggests.
0: You know? Um, God's in control. Except for there are things he put you in control of. See, there are things that he gave you authority over. Are you with me? Now, in a larger sense, in a larger sense, there's, you know, there is a, a, a timetable. Things will not always be as they are right now on planet Earth. Are you hearing me? Amen. Okay, it's, Love will one day rule this planet. And if, you, if you're born again, you're going to rule it with him. Amen. They will not always be as they are right now. So in, in, a, in a broader sense, there is a, there's a timetable and, and there's coming a day when the director is going to say, cut, and he's going to interstage right, and we fix to change everything, okay? But that's not right now. So there are ways that you could take God is in control and make a biblical case for it, but 99 times out of 100 when I hear somebody say God's in control, it's something's happened Of a negative nature that they don't understand and they're trying to make sense out of something that's senseless thugs riding by a house and shooting a 12 year old boy in his bed the thief comes to steal kill and destroy you'll never make sense out of something that's senseless and that's that's what religion tries to do and it tries to spiritualize uh, um, you know uh, everything go back to the first one you said I'm sorry brother Um, God's in control. Got God's got a plan. Okay. Well, um, the Bible says that he wrote every day of our lives down in a book before we ever lived a single one. And you hear that and people say, well, why did he write that part about my mom and daddy getting a divorce? Or why did he write that part about uh, me getting addicted to uh, painkillers you know, when I broke my arm? Th- God didn't write that part. The Bible says we've all gone our own way, done our own thing. And wrote our own life story. So what God's been trying to do since before you were born was get you back into agreement and alignment with the story that He wrote for you before you were ever formed in your mother's womb. So yes, God does have a plan. But guess who else has a plan? The devil has a plan. And guess who else has a plan? You have a plan. And I have a plan. There's a lot of plans here, right? There's a lot of plans. Whose plan are we going with? Right, we going with we going with fathers, we going with ours, we going with the devils, we going with mom and ems, We, you know, I mean, you, I, I guarantee you that there's folks in this room. There's a lot of people who have plans for you, even, right? Some of you got family members that are irritated with you because you didn't follow their plan for you, right? <laughs> so everybody's got all these plans. So God does have a plan, but but that doesn't mean that you know a tornado was His plan. Yes, no, maybe. Does this make sense? Okay. All right. So we, we have to, um, well, time's running out. We're, amen. Please come back next week and let me finish this because I don't want to leave you hanging on all these things. All right. But one of the things that we see in the Bible, verse after verse in the Bible, speak of the will of God as something to be sought out. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Something that is to be discovered Sought out and discovered something that must be discerned. To discern means to to be able to look at it and, and recognize the part that's God and the part that's not, right? There's a lack of discernment here when people call something the will of God that's not the will of God. You must discern the will of God, the will of God must be understood. How many people do not understand the will of God? They don't understand the general will of God for, for mankind, and they certainly don't understand uh, even little to know of God's individual will for their lives. So it's something that must be understood. It's something that must be followed. It's something that must be surrendered or submitted to. We, we even see in the Scriptures where we pray for the will of God to come and to be done. Why would Jesus ever tell us pray for the will of God to be done if everything that was done on planet earth was already the will of God it's pointless to pray for the will of God to be done if everything that happens is God's will I mean just let her just let her rip you know I mean just let it happen man just just here's another one right just let go and let God there's another one of those right you know I mean well I mean there are certain things we do need to let go of But there's also certain things that we've let go way too long that we need to take hold of. With our tongue being one of the main ones, the words that we speak. How about this? The the will of God is something that that is to be proven, that you may prove. What is the beneficial, well-pleasing, all-encompassing will of God for your life? God wants you to become a living sacrifice so that you can become living proof of a living God. He wants to prove to the world that it pays to serve Him. It pays to know Him. It pays to live for Him. It pays to trust Him. It pays to believe in Him. And He wants to make an example out of you to the whole world of what a life looks like that's surrendered to Him and to His plan and to His will. None of these instructions will be necessary if everything that happens is the will of God. Here's one for you. Ephesians 5 and 17. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We've got to understand what His will is for us. Now, I really feel compelled to do this. I'm not going to have time to to give you all of this, but I want to at least give you the verses so you can be thinking about them, okay? Luke chapter 19. And verse number 41. Thank, thank you, Brother Donald, for mentioning that because it need to be mentioned. Yes, ma'am, you certainly can, Olivia. Okay, so
1: if we have, you know, went on the bad path and the consequences have happened yes. in our Get back
0: in God's will. absolutely obviously cooperating remember the word of god is living and powerful so the word of god is actually something we can work against or we can cooperate with jesus okay and the holy spirit and 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 both of those are referred to as mediators we we might think of them as an attorney also referred to as as a helper so jesus is interceding for us in heaven helping us in heaven He's representing us there. The Holy Spirit is with us here on the earth, helping us here. He knows what the will of God is for every person in this room, right? And he knows how to get you from wherever you are, I know you've heard my GPS story. First time I drove the GPS, I was going to Costco in Franklin, Tennessee. I decided, I was so amazed, I was looking at the sunroof. How do they know where I am? And so I decided to try to trick it. I took a wrong turn. It was telling me to turn right in however many hundred feet. I turned left real quick, sped up through a a warehouse (laughs) office park, you know, like trying to outsmart, uh, and the screen went blank. And I thought, yeah, okay, I beat you. And it says recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. And then it started to tell me how to get to my destination. And the Spirit of God fell on me in, that, in my wife's uh, Denali that, that, that afternoon, right? And the Lord spoke to me. He says, no matter how many wrong turns you take, I know how to get you from wherever you are right now to where you're supposed to be if you'll listen to me, right? And alongside that same thought, sister, is that it's not just enough for him to dust you off and say, now go do better, go sin no more, try to make the most of what time you have left. He is a God who restores He is in the restoration business. He loves to restore back to you and me things that were stolen from us by the devil through our listening to the devil's lies and, 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 and being, being you know, led, led astray by our own lusts and desires, and, and then we have all these consequences, things that we brought on ourselves. You know, God didn't say, I'll fix it for you as long as you didn't have it coming or as long as you didn't do it to yourself. No, no. He's a God who restores. He loves to restore. And it's a supernatural thing, but even God can restore years to us that were wasted. Yes. I don't know how He does it, but He just does it. He just does it. It's it's a long story. I won't go into all of it, but um, it it was a very very hurtful situation in in, in my life as as it relates to pastoral ministry and and um. You know, we've all you know been hurt by people. I'm not some way more than me. Don't misunderstand me. But um, few people on planet Earth can hurt you like a pastor can hurt you. And, and that was kind of what happened to to Pam and I and it's one of those things we never saw coming and and um, <clears throat> the lord uh, spoke to me through someone who speaks into my life and and, and confirmed it uh, well the, the word was i had I had worked really hard to build uh, a large facility for you know, in construction and things and contracting and you know for this particular church and And the word of the Lord came to me that, you know, through my brother, actually, that because I had built the Lord a house, that He was going to build me one. Well, I thought, you know, maybe three-bedroom, full basement somewhere one day. You know, Um, I had no idea He was talking about this. Are you understand what I'm saying? And I I went through that. So it was about six months after that was when all this kind of the wheels came off, and and um, I was asked to resign uh, my position and and uh, i thought i was done with ministry to be honest with you i i, um, I was just going to go be a wealthy businessman and do whatever but i you know all the politics and gov- you know I, I just wasn't for me and um and th- this the lord told me he said if you if you'll keep your heart and attitude straight he said i'll make all this up to you one day and I didn't know what he meant by that, but I said, okay, you know because there were things I could have done that would have divided that church, that would have destroyed that church, really. I mean I, and could have easily justified, but but no, 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 that's not me, it's not my place. And um, so again, I had no idea that the Lord was talking about all this, you know what I'm saying, that, and he has more than ever made it up to me. So that he, he just enjoys that. I mean that's just you know don't believe the devil's lie because you know we've all done things and made choices that we wish we hadn't made and experienced consequences from those choices um but don't think that somehow excludes you uh from his ability to restore uh and 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 make it up to you i I know it sounds odd I, i don't i don't know how to put that into words but maybe the exact situation uh you know, let's say it's a it's a it's a spoiled relationship somebody that you loved and they moved on and married somebody else or I'm just coming up with something anyway all right but you said well how can he restore that to me is he gonna div- make them div- no he's not gonna gonna break up a family to do that for you but he'll bring somebody into your life you see what I'm saying that um that was so hurtful you know, Pam and I had really invested a lot into those people, into those young people and stuff. And man, it was just so hurt, hurt for our kids and all that stuff. And I thought, you know, man, like, how would you ever make it up to me? You know, I'm, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't go back and trade it for what the Lord's doing now. You see what I'm saying? So, Amen. 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 Jer- uh,
1: Jeremiah 29:10. Come on with it. Captured by foreign nation out of their own, you know disconduct. this conduct. It says, "For this is what the Lord says: When the seventy years of Babylon is complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration: he Plans for your well-being, not for your disaster, to give you a future and hope. You will call on me, and I'll come. And you'll pray to me, and I'll listen." <laughs> you'll me and you'll find me. You'll search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where you were banished. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place which you were deported. Amen. That's what he said. <laughs>
0: That's what he said.
1: That's
0: what he said. So... Um, let me just give you a little brief overview, I won't read all these verses, but in Luke the 19th chapter, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem for the last time, at least on earth as a man. When he, when he leaves Jerusalem this time, it's going to be with a cross on his back. And a lot of the movies and even maybe passion plays that you, dramas that you see, he's on the back of that donkey and he's waving to the crowd like a politician, but that's not what the scripture says was happening. Jesus was weeping bitterly, the Bible says, over the city that was laid out in front of him because he knew that in basically 40 years in the future, Rome was going to turn against Jerusalem and literally blood in the streets. It it was going to be slaughter. And Jesus, the Bible says, is weeping bitterly. And he's weeping bitterly because he says that the people missed their window of opportunity to write for themselves a completely different future than the one that now awaited them. In other words, Jesus was trying to give them understanding and wisdom that would have created a different world, even, outcome for generations of their family that weren't even born yet. But he says they would not. They wouldn't hear it. They wouldn't listen. They they wouldn't let him help them. And now that window is closed. And Jesus knows it's closed. And he knows the opportunity to change that has come and gone. And that now it's set. That, to me, helps us understand this idea that, well, you know, you just wait and see. I'm going to get them. No, that's not how God operates. He gives us every opportunity. So think about that now. And I'll say this again next week, uh, I would imagine, in one form or another. God is trying to teach you something now that will be making difference in your family 40 years. Years or more in the future. He's wanting you to hear something and receive something and allow that word to change something in your heart now that'll affect generations of your family that aren't born yet. You see how he thinks, how he it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for this time together this evening. Lord, we've covered some heavy stuff. I thank you, Lord. Uh, that uh, every person listening to me right now, with the Holy Spirit's help, are able to lay hold of these things and understand them, Father. Lord, I come against a spirit of offense. I don't want anybody to be offended. And we know the enemy is the one who tries to bring offense at you and at your word, Lord. I thank you, Father, that the truth's what sets us free. And, and Lord, um, the truth brings and opens the door for your healing uh, to flow, Lord, into every area of our heart. Every area of our, our mind, our emotions, Lord, even our bodies, Lord, the, the, the stress and, and unforgiveness and bitterness, these things are, are affect us on so many levels. And Lord, there's just a lot going on with what we've talked about this evening, and I thank you, Lord, for, for uh, the spirit that gives life. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your hand upon each one of these men and women, Lord, as, as we uh, celebrate your birth uh, this weekend, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, Merry Christmas. Thank you for being here. Good things coming to you and to yours. And we will see you next Wednesday, if not before. I'll see some of you on Tuesday morning next week. Praise God.